I have to admit that I don't always think when I drive. I don't always think when I drive. There are many instances when, I know it sounds like very dangerous, <laughs> don't try this at home, um, or in the car. Uh, I know you can't drive, but sometimes what happens is me and Becca are in the car together, and I'm driving, and we start getting into a conversation, and then it's, it's a conversation that maybe I'm like really passionate about, or I think is very thought-provoking, and I start thinking and talking, and we're going back and forth, and then as I'm like getting more into it, all of a sudden, Becca's like, where are you going? And I'm like, I don't, I don't even know where I'm driving right now. I'm just driving to drive, I guess. And it's like, no, like this, like this has happened probably a lot of times where it's like, you know, we're going like to dinner. Like we're not going to like your parents' house. It's like, oh, I don't know like why I just naturally started going there. And just by me naturally not thinking a lot when I'm driving, when I like get into like a certain set of conversation and just start going, that thoughtlessness and that kind of careless mentality starts putting me down the wrong path. Think similarly, when it comes to our speech, James 3 is going to show us today that if we are thoughtless with our words, we don't think about what comes out of our mouths, then we're going to go down this path of saying things that we shouldn't. If we don't sit back and say, hey, I need to be careful, I need to not be reckless with my speech or else I'm going to go down the wrong path. Look at James 3 as we've been studying it, as we wrap up this section, verse 9, it says this, and talking about our words, says, with it, which is our mouth, our tongue, our words, we bless our Lord and Father. So bless is like thanksgiving or praising or saying, hey, God, you're great. So we use our tongue for that, bless our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. Curse is not just the idea of maybe saying profanities towards someone else, but saying things that are evil, or even slander, which we talked about last week, towards someone else. So right over here, we're blessing and we're praising God, and we're saying, yeah, God, you're awesome. And then over here, we're saying evil and slandering other people. And I think a special phrase used right here, people who are made in the likeness of God. See, all human beings inherently are made in God's image. Genesis chapter 1 talks about that, that all human beings are made in God's image. It's important for us to know it's not just believers, but unbelievers as well. When the fall took place in Genesis chapter 3, we did not lose being made in God's image. We are still in his image. And it's made clear here in verse 9 that it's not just believers, because it didn't say with it we curse believers who are made in the image of God, but all human beings are made in God's image. Saying, hey, with our tongues, we over here praise God, and over here we curse other people, slander other people. Goes on, verse 10, from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. Now here's a really strong sentence. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Shouldn't be doing that. Praising God, slandering your friend, your neighbor. Ought not to be. Verse 11, give an analogy. There's a lot of analogies that is used to describe the tongue here in the section of James 3. We see ships, we see horses, we see a fire, we see wild animals. Now here's another one, verse 11. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Now what's the answer to that question? Yes or no? No. no. Does a spring pour forth fresh and salt water coming together? It's like, no, it's one or the other. Verse 12. Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, 
What's the answer? Yes or no? No. no. Or a grapevine produce figs? Yes or no? no? No. Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. So it's saying, hey, look at nature out there. You don't see a stream pouring forth and it's, oh, fresh water and salt water coming together. Or you don't look at the grapevines and, oh, man, look, it's producing grapevines and figs. No, it's one or the other. Nature acts in accordance with how God has designed nature to act. So, too, we need to use our words in a way that God has set it up how he wants us to use our speech. And we need to thoughtfully make sure that our words line up with how God would want us to use our speech. Can't be careless. Can't be thoughtless. Just off the cuff responding in any way that we want to. That's the hypocritical speech described in verses 9 and 10. Point number one, write it down like this. Beware of hypocritical speech. Beware of hypocritical speech. Don't be okay with saying one thing and then acting in a completely different way. That's what hypocrisy is. Professing a belief in something and then acting in a contrary manner. Yeah, I believe this. Yeah, I'll even say, yeah, I believe that slandering other people is wrong. Maybe here at church. And then you go home and slander your siblings, slander your parents, slander your teachers. That's hypocrisy. See, hypocrisy and lying almost seem interconnected, but lying is saying, hey, I know this is wrong, and I'm intentionally saying this thing that I know is not, to, is not true. Whereas hypocrisy is saying, oh, yeah, with my words, yeah, I know that, let's say, stealing is wrong. And then yet secretly, I'm going around and I'm stealing stuff. It's, you hypocrite, you wrongful going around doing these things. I mean, I think last week I gave an example of hypocrisy where we're here at church and we're saying, praising God maybe in the worship services, God, you're so good. Thank you for providing for us all these different things. You're so good. And then after service hits around, it's time to eat. And you're thinking, oh, where are we going to go eat? Then parents say, oh, we're going home to eat leftovers. And what do we say? Leftovers. <laughs> Crumbling. Complaining. We say, oh, praising God at church, thank you so much for what you provide. Everything that's good comes from you. Oh, yes, God, you're awesome. And then you're waiting in line, the, the drive through line at In-N-Out over here, and it's so long, and you're like, this line, grumbling. Or you're like, oh, God, thank you. Every good thing is from you. And then you go walk out, uh, maybe on Saturday, maybe Sunday on the donuts, and so someone took your favorite donut, and your donut's not there, and you grumble complain. We profess one thing, and then we act in a completely different way, even maybe with your words as well. That's a literal example, praising God for his provision, and then complaining with what he provides right after that. You need to beware of hypocritical speech, and I think one that's so common, especially in this stage of life, is talking in a way that you just fit in to whatever environment you're in. So here at church, you're going to talk a certain way because, oh man, I'm at church, so I got to talk this way. But then at school, when your friends are talking a different way, it's, oh, well, I'm at school. I got to fit in, so I've got to talk this certain way. Then you go to your sports team and people talk a certain way and you say, to fit in, I've just got to engage in this sort of conversation, matching speech with who you are with. I think this sort of fitting in, I see sometimes, uh, or I saw it a lot in high school and in college ministry. It'd be 
uh, a guy, for example, who maybe liked a certain, a certain girl. And all of a sudden, this guy would start acting differently depending upon uh, when they were around this girl that they liked. Like, maybe a guy was like serious all the time, like he never laughed at any jokes. And then all of a sudden, he's in the conversation with the girl, and the girl says a joke, and he's like, ha, ha, like dying laughing. And I'm just sitting there, I'm like, <laughs> something's a little, a little fishy right there. Or this guy in high school, like, doesn't care for like the longest time about like how he dresses or like if his hair's done. And then all of a sudden it's like, he's wearing nice clothes and he's fixing his hair and he's always just, and it's like, hmm, like what's going on right there? Yeah, a little sus, little sus going on right there. Or maybe it was a friend that I knew who uh, I knew he didn't like Chick-fil-A, for example. I don't mean to offend you guys, though. There was like, he didn't like Chick-fil-A. But then the group was deciding where to go eat. And then the, the girl that he likes suggested, hey, we should go to Chick-fil-A. And he's like, oh, yeah, Chick-fil-A, that's a great idea. I love Chick-fil-A. I mean, my pleasure, you know? Like, <laughs> like, it's like, it's like what's, what are we doing? <laughs> See, just trying to fit in and, and talk and act a certain way because that's how they thought that person would want them to act because they thought that's what the person would want me to say. Thinking so much of this fear of man mentality of how can I just fit in and not ruffle some feathers. An example I want you to turn to in Genesis chapter 12. Was, we read this a little bit ago in our DBR and I think is a great example of, man, just being afraid of what other people think and so I'm just going to Take the easy road out and just try to fit in. Not Try not to be different. Just not ruffle any feathers, not cause any problems, but just fit in, even if it means using speech that isn't God-pleasing. Genesis chapter 12. Drop down to verse 10. It says, Now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there. For the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. I mean, getting some brownie points right there with his wife. Sarah, hey, Sarah, you're beautiful. But, verse 12 says, But when the Egyptians see you, they will say, This is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. It's like, they're going to say, man, she's beautiful too. We're going to take this guy out so we can have his wife. So just go along with this. Let's just say you are my sister. Verse 13, say you are my sister that it may go well with me because of you and that my life may be spared for your sake. Saying, hey, can we, can we just fit in right now? Like, can we just like go ahead and lie right now? Because, man. My life might be at stake right here. We're, we're trying to get some food. Maybe they're not going to give me food. Maybe they put me to death because how beautiful you are. Just say you're my sister. They do that. Verse 14. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. So at this point, Abram's thinking his plan's working. It's like, they're treating me well because I said she was my sister. He had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys. He was like, he's got all this wealth. Verse 17, but the Lord afflicted Pharaoh 
and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Somehow Pharaoh found out this guy's not telling the truth. Why are these plagues taking place on us? It was God's protection so that Pharaoh didn't do something that he shouldn't have. Verse 19, why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. Pharaoh gave them and sent them off away. I mean, in that instance, you can kind of see, man, Abram just didn't want to ruffle any feathers. He was looking out for his own interest. He was fearful of what Pharaoh was going to do to him. So he said, let's just try to fit in. Let's just lie about it. Maybe you're tempted at school to fit in and engage in whatever wrongful speech and conversations are taking place there. You know, not fall into the sin that Abram did and just say, I'm going to fit in. I'm going to fear man. Fit in wherever it is. Oh yeah, everyone's making fun of the teacher, so what am I going to do? Fit in. I'm not going to say, hey, let's not do this because they're going to look at me weird. Man, I'm like, oh, what do you think? You're better than the rest of us? I'm just going to fit in and just do what everyone else is doing. All my siblings saying, oh, the choice that my parents gave me so hard, rather than standing up and saying, well, they're our parents, we should listen and honor them. Oh, I'm just going to complain to fit in. It's going to happen more and more as you get older and try to fit in. Are you going to fit in with the world and with the speech that goes on there? Are you going to stand out different? A great quote from this book that says, that's called, When People Are Big and God is Small. It says this, We are more concerned about looking stupid than we are about acting sinfully. We spend so much time thinking about, man, if I act like this, are people going to think I'm weird? Are they going to like me? Are they going to think I'm like an outsider, that weird Christian kid? And we spend less time thinking, is God pleased with this action or not? Have it backwards. Rather than having people big in our minds and God small, we need to flip that on its head. Romans 12, verse 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I think another example of hypocritical speech is vain good answers. Vain good answers. Maybe in small groups, You saying what you do or what you believe, but your actions being not there, not true. You just portraying yourself a certain way in small groups so that the other people in the group think a certain way of you, so that your leaders think a certain way about you. I mean, did you guys do the DBR this morning, Matthew chapter 23? Verses 1 to 7, when Jesus calls out these Pharisees, Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works that they do. For they preach, say, do this, but they do not practice. They tie up 
heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, say, you should do this, you should do that, this is what God would want you to do. But they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. So they're saying these religious leaders, hey, you should be doing this, you gotta be doing this, but them, they're not even willing to move a finger. They're lying, hypocrites. Verse five, they do all their deeds to be seen by others. For they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplace. I mean, verse 5 is so telling. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. In small groups, the answers that you give, are they truthful or are they not? When you do your good actions, is it to be seen by other people? Or do you care about what God thinks? Putting on a face at church, putting on a face in small groups, towards your leaders when you're meeting with them. A lot of us care so much about how other people view us. What does that person think of me? What what do they think? Once again, it comes back to, do we fear God or do we fear man? We care more about what other people think and not looking stupid? Or do we care ultimately what God thinks? Which is it? Maybe say, what's, what's wrong with hypocritical speech? What's the big deal with saying something over here and saying something different over here? Imagine if you were like, Nathan, I, I think you're awesome. Like, I think you're great. Like, yeah, like, I want to be your friend. And you're like, oh, I think you're awesome. And then we get out of, out of service here, and you go over there, and you are treating Becca with, like, disrespect. You're slandering her. And you're spreading rumors around. I mean, that profession of what you just said, Dane, Connor, that profession of what you just said would be, showing itself to be false. Oh, you think you're great? Yeah, you think, you think yeah, you, you really want to please me, do, do what, what's honoring to me, and here you are over here slandering my wife. It's, you're a liar. You're a hypocrite. You're not telling the truth. Wouldn't be pleased with that. 1 John 4, 20 and 21 say, say this. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. Think about that. You say, I love God, and you're hating towards someone in your small group? You hate your family member, your friends? You're a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. See, if hypocritical speech is a regular pattern of your life, it shows, man, do you really love God? If it's a consistent pattern, regular, over and over again, do you really love God? That doesn't mean that a Christian's never going to have hypocritical speech. Obviously, in James 3, it talks about how we should fight against it. This ought not to be so. It shouldn't be the way it is. We've got to fight against it. But if it's all the time, he's someone who really loves God. 
Another reason why hypocritical speech is so evil is it's because it's the opposite of the nature of God. I mean, think about God. God is immutable, which means he doesn't change. God is faithful. If he says something, he's going to do it. So when we say one thing and do something else, it's antithetical to what, who God is. Give an example in Scripture of where God says something and he didn't do it. I mean, all the examples that you could give are like things that he said he's going to do in the future, and we can have confidence that he will because he always has. If we say something and do something else in conflict with the nature of God himself, when we don't keep our word, we flip-flop back and, oh, yeah, say this, and then say like the exact opposite thing almost next, like flip-flopping back and forth. I mean, I think of Pharaoh as a great example. Like, oh, yeah, I'll let you go. Oh, wait, no, I'm not going to let you go. Oh, I'll let you go. I'm not going to let you go. It's like, Pharaoh, make up your mind. Like, like back and forth. It's like showing the truthfulness of what you say, letting you go. It's like you're a hypocrite because you're not actually letting the people go. You need to be someone who keeps your word. Keeps your word. As you think through the speech that you use, I think three practical steps. One, before you say something, make sure it pleases God. I know it sounds so elementary. Before you say something, make sure it pleases God. Should be step number one. How do I want to talk? Okay. Before I open my mouth, does it please God? Second, before you say something, make sure you mean it. (laughs) Make sure it's sincere genuine, not emptying or laying up empty phrases. Before you say something, make sure it pleases God. Make sure you mean it. If you say something, follow through. It's the third. Say something, okay, this pleases God. I, I, I believe it, genuine. Now I'm going to follow through in that, with that word. Don't be a flake. I mean, how many times have you like tried to, I guess maybe this is more for the leaders, but there's times when like you try to meet up with someone and it's like the hour right before it and it falls through and it's like, ah, great. And the first time you're like, okay, I'm going to be gracious. I'll give him a pass. And then it's like, oh, again, and it falls through like the hour right before. And then again, it's like it falls through and it's like, my dad always be like, oh, those people are flakes. Like, uh, like, oh, a bunch of flakes. They're always saying, yeah, they're going to commit to something. And then guess what? Don't follow through. Don't be a flake. Obviously things pop in the way, but is the genuine general pattern of your life one of following through with your word or does your word not really mean anything? Oh yeah, he says this, or he says he's going to do this, but I mean, he's never really proved himself to be trustworthy, so I don't really believe that. Oh, he said he's going to stop doing this wrong thing, or she says she's going to stop doing this wrong thing. I have a hard time believing it, because every time she proves herself not to be trustworthy. She's a hypocrite. Follow through with what you say. Not perfect, won't be perfect with it, but can the general pattern be not hypocritical speech, but keeping our word. James chapter 3, verses 11 and 12, does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? No, it doesn't do that. Can a fig tree, my brother, bear olives? No. Or a grapevine produce figs? No. Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Saying, hey, God designed nature, and so Nature can't decide, hey, I'm going to go a different way than what God designed. Like the grapevines aren't like, oh, yeah, I'm designed to do grapes. Guess what, God? Let me show you figs. Boom. It's like, 
No, the only time the laws of nature are broken is when God himself breaks the laws of nature because that's how he designed it, and they don't get to question and say, we're going to do it a different way. So too, this is the comparison of our words. God designed our mouth. He made us in our mother's womb. He designed us. He's set a way for us to use our words. Who are we to say, I'm going to choose a different way. I'm going to use my tongue in a way that God doesn't want me to use it. Point number two, use your words as God designed. Use them as he designed. He's the creator. If you're right with God, not only did he create you, but he redeemed you through Christ. Doubly his. All the more should our words be under subservient to Christ's will. How does God want me to talk? That's why we're in this book. How does he want me to speak? Our words need to line up with God's words. How does he? He's the one in charge. And we might say, oh, well, I don't like the, the rules that God has for my speech. Guess what? If he's the creator, then whatever he says goes, no matter whether we feel like it or not. Remember hearing a funny example once is like, um, imagine if God said in the Bible that five foot ten white guys with brown hair have to walk on their hands. It's like, but God, I don't like that rule. It's like, well, guess what? If God is the creator and that was his command to us, you better believe I'd be trying to figure out how to walk on my hands. I'm like, because God's the one in charge. He made the rules. He planned it. So we need to live in obedience with what he says. There's problems when we take what God has designed and intended for good and we use it a different way. I found some funny examples um, on the internet of people seeing others use like everyday items in like an incorrect way. Here's, here's an example. This one said, I once caught a friend of mine rubbing an antibacterial hand wipe from KFC all over his fried chicken. <laughs> This little packet said a hint of lemon on it, and he thought it was meant to flavor the chicken with. <laughs> so there he is with that antibacterial wipe not all over the chicken. Another one said, my friend's kid decided to make a grilled cheese sandwich with an iron on the couch. <laughs> Burned a nice iron-shaped hole in the couch. <laughs> See, that's what happens when you use things the way that it's not supposed to be used. You're the crazy guy wiping this antibacterial wipe on your fried chicken or ironing on the couch. It's like, can you imagine being that person? Like, it's like not how, like, you know, it's not how it's supposed to be used. See, I think a little bit of when maybe they look at him and say, like, you're crazy. God looks at it when we use our words in a way that's not supposed to be used, and it's, that's wrong. It's not only, oh, that's funny. Like, oh, that's, oh, that's a little com- comedy that you're, you're just, it's like, no, you're you're going completely against how I set things up. Making yourself out to be God and say, I know better how God wants me to use my words. I'm going to do it a different way. Maybe you think, why can't I use my words how I want? Maybe you say things that the Bible would say you shouldn't say, but you say, it's okay because I don't feel convicted by it. Is it okay for me to use words if, if I'm not convicted by it? I mean, God gave me a conscience. So if I'm not convicted by it, it must be okay. It must be fine. I'm not convicted when I say cuss words. 
I'm not convicted when I lie to my friends. I'm not convicted. So does it really matter? I mean, try to take that logic and apply it to another area. Oh, I wasn't convicted when I, when I murdered that person, so it must be okay. It's like, it doesn't matter, convicted or not. God's word makes it very clear how we are to act, how we are to talk. And whether you want to follow it or not, God's either going to be pleased or displeased. I think oftentimes we, the talk that we feel okay with is maybe the smaller, smaller sins with our words, the white lies, or the, the secret gossip, and we become okay with those things, or the pseudo-cuss words that we use, and we say, ah, oh, that's fine. No, be thoughtful with every single word. We've talked through that passage before that we're going to have to give account for every word that we say. So how can we use our words as God designed? First, you can use your words for God's glory. I mean, that's why he designed it. Romans eleven thirty six. For from him, through him, and to him are all things. So everything comes from God, which means he created it. Through him, which means he sustains it. He's the one that keeps things going. And to him, so all things are made for the glory of God. Your words are designed specifically to bring God glory. Another verse you know probably really well. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the what? Glory of God. That should be our mindset. When we're, every day we wake up, how can I use my words to the glory of God, whatever situation I'm in? Any context, towards my parents, at church, with my friends, with my enemies, about the teachers, about the coaches, regarding the food that I eat, about the weather, whether it's verbal speech, whether it's self-talk, whether it's recorded speech, whether it's written text out, all categories, doing it for the glory of God. How can you bring God glory through your words? I mean, part of it, I think through, think through 1 John chapter 4, if it says if we love God, we're not going to hate our brothers. Well, how can we use our words to love God? Using our words for the good of others. That brings glory to God. I mean, very specifically how we can praise God. I mean, you think of musical worship. You think of thanking God, gratitude. Maybe think of evangelism, but a lot of good can come from using our words and beneficially towards other people. Here's a couple subcategories. So first, we can use our words for the glory of God, also for the good of others. And those aren't like two separate categories. The good of others falls under the category of the glory of God. One way our words can be used for the good of others is bringing wisdom, wisdom and insight to someone else. Psalm 37.30, it says, The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom, and his tongue speaks justice. I mean, you can use your words for so good if someone is like, Oh, man, I'm not sure what to do. Or what does God want me to do? I'm not sure what God wants me to do in this situation. What, what should I do? And if you have wisdom, which we're going to talk about that more when we uh, keep going in, in James chapter 3, you say, Man, I have a knowledge of Scripture I know what scripture says about this topic, and you use your words to give insight and understanding. I mean, how good of a thing is that? From someone being like, I don't know what to do, and then here you are using scripture to say, this is what God will want you to do. That's a great thing. 
That's a really good thing to use your words for. Another thing, your words can be used for good as a comfort to someone else, as a comfort. One proverb, the first half is a little harsher, and we've covered that before, but the second half says, a tongue of the wise brings healing. I mean, what good can come from your speech to those that are hurting? Your friends that have gone through a tough situation. Your family member who's older and sick. And you can say something to comfort them in their pain. Talk about good that can come from our words. Right in vain with using our words as comfort, how about encouragement? That goes like hand in hand with it. There's a guy in scripture named Barnabas who, it's actually not his real name. We all know him as Barnabas, but that's actually the nickname that was given to him. In Acts chapter 4, it says, Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. So there's a guy, Joseph, who it's like, man, Joseph's just so encouraging that the apostles give him this nickname, Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. Like, that guy's an encourager. That guy uses his words. He's always encouraging, spurring on other people. Acts 11 gives a more description about Barnabas. It says, when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted, which is like an encouragement them all, to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. Acts 11, 23, 24. He sees these, these Christians and he exhorts them. He encourages them, stay faithful to God. Encourages them. Verse 24 describes him on, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. I mean, think about that. This guy, Barnabas, given that nickname, that name that we all know him as, Barnabas, because he was an encourager. He uses words for great benefit, great good. Could you imagine if you were such an encouragement to other people, not just like applauding people like with flattery or just trying to get something out of them so you say they're great or approving people of sin, but like a godly encouragement that people were like, man, you know what we should call? You know what we should call Benton? We should just call Benton like the encourager. What's up, encourager? It's like, like, it's like quite literally what they're doing with Barnabas. What's up, encouragement? They looked at Dane and was like, oh man, Dane, he's just always encouraging people. Dane, what an, what an encourager. Like, That'd be kind of cool. I mean, like, I don't know if you'd be like, oh, yeah, in high school I was known as the encourager. It's like, uh, like, we don't want to be known as the encourager, but, like, why is that? What a good thing. Do you have a friend in your life that you know? It's like, man, they're always encouraging people. I hope you do. That friend is such a blessing to you. There's a lot to learn from, from that person who's always going around encouraging and maybe on the flip side, you have that friend who's like the opposite, trying to like one-up all the time, and you're like, oh, yeah, like, uh, don't like them. It's a lot of learn, lots to learn from that friend, too, in the opposite sense. How about this one? How to use our words for, for the good of others. You can be a de-escalator. De-escalator. Things are getting heated. Things are getting feisty. Maybe the friend group, there's some drama going on, and you, with your speech, can like, Put it to rest. Bring it out. It's like, I don't know why my picture of a like, thing like de-escalating is like, um, 
something that's like under pressure. You know, there's a lot of pressure built up and it's like about to burst or say like a balloon, like someone blew up this balloon big and it's like about to burst. And then here you are just with the nozzle and able to let the air out and it just, that's why that's a picture that at least comes to mind when I think de-escalating. People are heated, people get feisty, even in small groups here in the narrow or among friends here in the narrow, things happen. Conflicts take place, but with your words, can you calm everyone down? Say, hey guys, let's not get angry. Let's not get frustrated. Let's work through this as God would want us to. It's a lot of good that can come from those words. Another one, calling out sin. That's a little more uncomfortable. <laughs> saying, hey, what you did there, that's pulling someone aside privately, obviously not saying in front of everyone, hey, everybody, what they did is wrong. Can't believe did this. Like it's like no, that's not how Scripture wants us to do it. But privately, saying hey, in humility, I don't think that's this is what God would want us to do. It's a good thing to do. Or is fear of man going to creep in and oh, I don't want to do that because oh, maybe they're going to think oh, I'm the holier than thou type or think I'm superior and fear of man creeps in rather than saying what is the good of others. I mean. Scripture talks about what is, what is our good? Us being sanctified. And so sin, which is the opposite of our sanctification, man, it's pulling us the opposite direction. You can do a lot of good by saying, hey, you shouldn't do that. It's not pleasing to God. Lastly, bringing spiritual conversations or starting spiritual conversations I mean, how many times do you have a conversation with your friend and it's about the same surface level, doesn't really matter topic over and over again? Just talking about video games, just talking about sports, talking about, you know, just whatever, that, those things over and over again. And it's like, at the end of the day, does it really matter? Not, not really. It's good to be having like those conversations. It's a good thing. I'm not saying like, hey, if you're only, you have to only talk about spiritual things. It's not what it's saying. Whatever you do, bring honor to God. But I think we should more often say, hey, what do you think of this sermon? What did you think about the DVR today? What did you think about what Pastor Mike said in this message? But we shy away from those. We say, oh man, I'm trying to just fit in and because no other junior hires talk about these things, I'm not going to either. Use your words for the good of others, not just surface-level conversations. God has designed our mouth. He's put a certain way how he wants us to talk. Let's use it how he intended. It's not too long ago that Beck and I were over at her grandparents' house for dinner. And we were sitting there at the table, and they made a delicious um, spread for us. And um, part of it, you know, typically bread and bread and butter for, uh, like, as a side in, in the in the meal. And we were eating, and a little bit through the meal, I realized that, like, over here was was like this container that looked like butter. And I was like, oh man, like, I guess I'm being selfish. It's over here, and no one else has had it, so. Uh, I didn't want to make a big deal because it looked like I was being selfish, so I like just slid it to the middle of the table and just like let it go. And so Becca grabs it and is like putting it on, on the bread, and she starts eating it, and then she t- 
takes a couple bites and looks at her grandma and says, is this butter? And if at this point you don't know it's not butter, you haven't heard one of my stories before, it's not butter. And her grandma's like, no, that's, that's mosquito repellent lotion. <laughs> and I look at her and I'm like, you took that many bites? <laughs> and we're dying laughing. We're like, oh man, that was... It looked like butter. It was, it was like this white lotion. It was like in like a little butter container looking type thing. And it was like, oh no, like I put that on. I think it was like my feet to repel the mosquitoes away. And it was like right there. Consequences of using something the way that it's not supposed to be intended yet again. I mean, I think it aptly describes the consequences that come when something being used, how it's not how it's supposed to be used. <laughs> do, our, do we use our words and use our mouth in the way that God would say, that's how I want you to use it? Or do we walk ourselves into consequences when we use it for ourselves, use it to put down other people, use it to magnify our own ego, to fit in? Or do we use it to bring honor to God and do good in the lives of other people? I pray that this sermon series, as we wrap it up and we talk about it in small groups, that this has changed the way that you've thought through your words. And maybe this sermon in particular has challenged you to not be so careless and reckless with your speech, but to be thoughtful and say, how can I use every word that I have for the glory of God? Let's pray. God, we ask that we would align our words with God's word, that we would be thoughtful and we would pray regularly that you would give us pure speech, that we wouldn't magnify other people in our minds and think that we have to talk a certain way while we're around individuals, but we wouldn't try to fit in with our speech to the world, but we would stand out and see that we can be a light for you merely by how we talk in the midst of this dark world. So help us in this room to stand out. Help these junior high students to stand out at school or in their sports teams or with everyone that they interact with that's not right. Help them to stand out through the words that they choose to select and how they use speech for your glory and for the good of other people. We ask all these things in your son's name. Amen.